You're in tune to the Fusebox Radio Broadcast. Uh, turn the music up inside my session. These folks gotta hear my message. Bringing balanced black radio to the masses. What's good, y'all? This is DJ Fusion, the syndicated Fusebox Radio Broadcast, bringing the balance back to black radio each and every single week on your FM dial, internet radio station, or favorite podcast app or site. And this week, we got a little bit of extra bonus content in the mix for y'all. This past weekend, I was over at the Capitol Cannon Show, which was one of the first annual events in the D.C. metro area that is essentially a cannabis convention. Now, some of our folks overseas and maybe even some of the folks in the States are like, wait a minute, weed is not legal yet. Well, um, it's not legal on the federal level, but various states and other areas have rules depending on how stuff can go on a medical or a recreational end. And D.C. is a particularly interesting case since it's essentially the home of our federal government here in the U.S. But they have a thing going on where there's a bit of decriminalization. So in other words, if you get caught with a certain amount, D.C. is not really going to trip for your personal usage. Plus, you can also, you know, plant a certain amount in your home if you're a D.C. resident and all of that. But because we're in the home of the federal government, you can't just walk around and be like, hey, I'm going to open me up a weed store and everything's going to be all good. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So part of the reason I went to this event was to kind of try to see the multiple aspects of the developing laws in terms of what will hopefully be the overall legalization of cannabis as time goes by for whatever means that you have it for whatever purpose you want to use it for, and at the very minimum, to cut down on some of the population that's in the prisons due to the utterly failing war on drugs. And I went to the event, it was really interesting, I'm going to get more in depth with it during our long-term show, but one of the interesting aspects of the event was just seeing the businesses that have sprouted up since then on the micro level in terms of like edibles and stuff like that to accessories and just plenty more stuff that's going on in the realms of um, marijuana use in the DC metro area and since myself and the Black Hawk here are currently living in that area and this is our home base for the show for the past few years we wanted to come through and um, see what's going on. And besides having exhibitors and other people there to chop it up with, there were also a lot of speakers and seminars that went down. And I got audio here as bonus content for folks to listen to from one of the speakers who was Charlo Green. Now, a lot of folks might remember Charlo Green from when she used to be a news anchor in Alaska, and she pretty much made the fuck it, I quit announcement to start off the um, Alaska Cannabis Club and to bring it on a bigger and higher level with the essential um, part of my language and all, fuck it, I quit declaration. And she has been part of the charge and leading in Alaska's 2014 effort to legalize recreational marijuana, securing it at the third state in the nation and the first actual Republican-led state to legalize usage for adults. And she had a really cool speech that went down and all of that for folks to check out and listen to about trying to get things on a bigger level not just in terms of legalization, but in terms of how folks can get involved in the business side of things, particularly folks who are American minorities. Because I'm sure when people look at some of these states and other spots and you see a lot of these businesses, you don't necessarily see a lot of people of color 
um, in these businesses who are, you know, doing it up, whether it's on the medical end or the recreational end. So folks have a bit of base on that too, besides some other things about her personal history, so forth and so on. She also talked about the upcoming um, TV show she's about to do, the Go Green organization, and some other um, awesome stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this audio from the Capital Canada show with Charlotte Green's um, closing keynote speech for the event. And you can always check us out at the Fusebox Radio broadcast via our official website, FuseboxRadioOnline.com. F-U-S-E-B-O-X-R-A-D-I-O-O-N-L-I-N-E.com. Our official blog site is BlackRadioIsBack.com. And you can check us out via all your favorite podcast apps and sites and things, such as iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and plenty more. If you dig what we're doing with the Fusebox Radio broadcast on any of these sites, please give us a rating and let folks know what's up. Every bit of listenership counts. And if nothing else, please tell people, hey, listen to this show. They're pretty dope. Because all those streams and downloads and stuff really help us out with the things that we do with bringing the balance back to black radio. So, yeah, enough talking from me. Let's get into it. Charlotte Green at the Capitol Canada Show. This is the Fusebox Radio Broadcast, bringing the balance back to black radio. All right. Hey guys, my name is Charlotte Green. I'm the CEO of the Alaska Canada Club, Alaska's first and only safe access point to date. I'm also the executive director of Go Green, the only advocacy organization aimed at cultivating diversity, unity, and opportunity in cannabis. And I'm also the host of the Charlotte Green Show. Now, Many of you may know that I was a news anchor in Anchorage, Alaska. That's actually where I was raised. But before that, um, my family moved here from Nigeria. I'm first generation American, one of seven kids actually. And we were living in San Diego when there was a run by shooting in our neighborhood. And our next door neighbor, she was three years old and she was hit by one of the bullets. So about a month later, my mom decided to move the family up to Alaska, only she didn't have much of a plan. So we ended up spending most of my time growing up in shelters and with me sleeping on the floors of cramped apartments, um, which I know wasn't what my grandmother wanted. I know that's not what she fought so hard for. You see, my grandmother was born what someone consider unlucky. She was born in a small village in Nigeria where they believed twins were one of the worst omens that you could see. And so when her mother, my great-grandmother, began to push moments after my grandmother was born, everyone there knew that she only had a few more moments to live before she and the second child she was giving birth to would be put to death. So minutes after my grandmother was born, she was orphaned and passed as a second-class citizen because of this stigma surrounding her birth. Because people, I mean, that's just how religion works. Then there wasn't science or anything to contradict those sorts of things. But my grandmother was a fighter, so she learned a trade as soon as she could walk. Um, she began to farm. 
and she married relatively early. Uh, my grandfather, as a means of survival, uh, fortunately, they fell in love and were together for more than six years until his death. But it was when my mother, it was time for my mother to go to school that my grandmother began writing a new story for himself. In that village, it wasn't customary for women to go to school beyond sixth grade. I mean, what point is an education for a woman if she's going to be at home raising the kids? So, my grandmother didn't even have the luxury of a primary education, the first six years of education. So she saw a value that other people couldn't, that other women couldn't. When she looked at the opportunities that were available to women and to men that weren't available to her. So when it came time for my mom to go to school, and the family told her no or laughed in her face at the idea of my mom going to school, my grandmother decided to take the situation into her own hands and figure out a way to send my mom to school. So what does an uneducated orphan with no money and no connections do? Well, she decided to teach herself how to weave. And so she spent all of her days working on a farm, walking to the market, walking the five, like literally the five miles that all of our parents complained about, about they actually do that over in Africa. And so this is what my grandmother was doing day after day. And after she would finish her long day, she would get home and she would make these garments until the sun would rise. She did this day in and day out until she saved enough money for my mom to go to school. Not just for one year, but for the rest of her tuition up until she graduated. And when my mom got there, while everyone was expecting her to struggle to survive, my mom began to thrive. And she served as an example to the rest of the village of what a woman could do when given the opportunity to learn. And instead of my grandmother taking that story and just using it as a means of bragging, she went back to those same women that laughed in her face when she wanted to send her daughter to school and showed them how well she was doing, showed them all the opportunities that were open to her, and began teaching them the trade too, so that they could make the decision as opposed to just waiting around for the men and the family to decide whether or not it was time for them to be in education. And because my grandmother decided to take her, her life into her own hands and craft a new story, one that had never been written in her community, not only did my mother gain an education, but every generation of women after my mother are now not only expected to go to school, but they're expected to thrive as well. That's the power of one voice. And so when it came time for me to decide whether or not I would stay a journalist, continue working in my comfortable job, you know, doing what I went to school for, but knowing that it wasn't why I became a journalist, which was to actually make a difference. It was easy for me. It was a simple decision. I began working at KCBA, the CBS affiliate in Anchorage, Alaska, as the crime force reporter still in anger. Shortly after, marijuana fell into my lap, saying that that was the only thing that Canada was considered in Alaska at the time. I was going to Alaska and, or, excuse me, Colorado and Washington to look into the marijuana industry and apply the lessons learned from those areas to Alaska 
to kind of shine a light on what we could expect there if we were to say yes and pass ballot number two, which would be blood and all use of cannabis. So while I was out there, I met with politicians and entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and activists. But most importantly, I met with the patients that were driving for days to get access to what I was learning was in fact life-saving medicine. I mean, I had used cannabis for years personally. Um, in fact, I, I grew up, like most Alaskans, abusing alcohol relatively early on. And it hit a point in college where I was basically failing out of school and it was my best friend that suggested I consider cannabis as opposed to continuing using alcohol as a vice. And I went from failing out of school to laying on the dean's list every semester after that and graduating to Rowdy and becoming a news anchor and the rest of history and all of that because of cannabis and because of my friends that encouraged me to consider it. And so here I am working as a news anchor, and I learned that people in my own community are in need of help. And I, as the lead reporter and secret advocate, likely was the only person that could make our medical marijuana law real. Alaskans voted to legalize medical marijuana in 1998, but the state never asked it to do anything outside of set up the registry to collect payments from people that wanted access, but there was no way for any of them to get the medicine that they needed. So I used my access to create the brain print for the Alaska Cannabis Club. And on April 20th of 2014, we launched, and we're preparing to celebrate our two-year anniversary. Um, and so from then on, as soon as we put the club online, it was really, really clear that the need of this desperate community was too great for me to balance with my career as a journalist. And when I met an Alaska Cannabis Club member for the first time face to face, that's what did it for me. Her name, we'll call her Pam. And Pam was in the last stages of her life. Her doctor figured prescribing cannabis couldn't hurt, so why not? And when she asked where she could fill her prescription, she told her to go and find it on the street. So at 72 years old, she goes to these back alleys and ends up getting robbed twice. She tells me when I finally get a chance to meet her that she had reached a point of desperation and decided to pray for the first time in a long time, more than longer than I had been alive, actually. And after she finished praying, she went online, and the first thing that popped up was ACCannabisClub.com, the website to my collective. And so I'm standing, standing in front of this woman the very next day, and she's crying and telling me how the service I was called to provide had just renewed her faith in God. And from then on, I mean, it was simple. We filled the club up to a point where it's self-sustaining so I can dedicate all of my energy for helping these people that actually need it. And that's what I did. So when I was ready, when we at the club were ready, we reached out to one of the club's youngest members, his name was Solomon Mishuka, who was 21 years old and battling testicular cancer. It was his mother that reached out to the club asking if he could become a member to see if cannabis could help see or ease the um, effects of his chemotherapy. 
And so here we are four months later, and the color is back in the skin, and we put on probably 15 or 20 pounds, and they're more than happy to help us. Keep it a secret that neither interview we earned was also the weekly baby deal, the story though. So, we put together the package, and the story aired live, and while the teleprompter is running with the separate subsecretary, I speak from my heart and speak honestly about everything the story that they just saw. And I say, everything you heard is why I, the actual owner of the Alaska family, probably dedicated all of my energy for fun for conventional spirits, which begins with the United Airlines of Alaska. That's the good job, well, I'm very but like with my grandmother, just saying it wasn't enough. Just sending my mom to school wasn't enough. You have to follow through with action, and that's what we did. We used that attention, that momentum, the hundred million views that that statement marked—literally, hundred million views, thousands of headlines. It was insane. But instead of just sitting on that, we used that to activate everyone. Anytime anyone wanted a selfie, are you registered to vote? And it's not 250 right there, because that would be one second. Like, seriously, we had entire nightclubs of people chanting, Yes, Son, too! Sunday night, quick! To the very next morning, advocates in church relaying how important it is to. We got to reach everybody. The people in church are all over the club. There are sometimes, though. But <laughs> just going out and reaching out to as many people as possible, relaying how related we all are in this fight together. And because of the action that followed the statement on November 4, 2014, we, like you see, set these the adult youth. So I share that story to let you know how important it is for you to take advantage of the opportunities that might present themselves when you least expect it. Only all of you sitting here, you know that the cannabis industry provides a golden opportunity for you to get in and create an entirely new story, not only for yourself, but for generations to come. This is an opportunity of a lifetime to change every lifetime that will follow us, especially when I'm speaking to people's health. There is no other industry with a foundation being laid where your voice can impact how the industry will look for every generation there is to follow. So everyone that is here, that has a booth out there, that's taking advantage of the opportunities this industry presents, I thank you. I thank you for taking the stand and showing that this side of legalization, that this industry isn't only okay for us, isn't only safe for us, but if we go about this the right way, this can begin to create wealth in our community. Wealth which can turn into political capital, more of a say in decisions that actually matter to our community, to our children, to our neighbors. This is our time. And if we don't act right now, 
while the foundation is being laid, we won't be able to be a part of any of this that's happening. So I have the, I'm blessed to be able to travel the world speaking about cannabis advocacy and why it's so important that people look again at the conversation being had about cannabis. And I know that me just stopping in and speaking somewhere doesn't do enough good. It, it doesn't. As much as these conferences, they are beneficial, and they're so important, we still need to have a conversation that continues on, even after these big events have come and gone. And so I'd like to talk to you about Go Green. That's my organization aimed at cultivating diversity, unity, and opportunity. You know, a lot of people ask me, how can I help? How can I get active? How can I get involved? And this, after traveling everywhere and seeing the struggle in all of these different places, I know is the best way to get involved and get active. Green is an acronym for grassroots evolution through education, networking, and mentality. What we're doing is reaching out to people that are ready and willing to lead their community through the end of prohibition. Have any of you heard of Women Grow? Yeah. 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 So what we're doing is borrowing that same model, but applying it to communities of color. Applying it to communities that need that sort of outreach. Having people that look like us running these groups so we feel more comfortable coming in. I was just speaking with Neil Franklin, and he was saying how important it is for him as a a former officer of law to go and speak to other people that have that same badge. It takes someone like you a lot of the time to relay how safe a change might be. So what we're doing is asking anyone that's ready and willing to lead to head to gogreen.org, fill out your information, and apply to start a chapter. We need leaders in DC. We need leaders in Virginia, we need leaders in Maryland, we need leaders everywhere. Everywhere that change is happening, your voice needs to be heard if you want that change to positively affect your community. After the vote happens, a lot of people think the work is done, but that's when the policies are being written. That's when it's being decided who ends up winning and who ends up losing. And it's so important that everyone that's aware of the opportunities that can be made available, speak up and usher away so that those opportunities are available, especially to the people that need them. So that's what I've been up to. I wanted to let everyone know that um, I'd really, really love to leave here with our chapter lead for DC, Maryland, and Virginia. So if anyone here is ready and willing to lead, you can put your hand up. <laughs> awesome. Well, after we finish um, a Q&A segment, I'd love to meet you off to the corner here and, and start getting you signed up. But this is our time. It's our opportunity to create legacies. Legacies that we'll read about, that our children will read about, that people will talk about, we'll keep building up, that reflect our communities and to take the opportunities that are available now. So, 
with that, I want to open up the floor to any questions that anyone might have to so bring in the URL. It's G-O-G-R-E-E-N-E, gogreen.org. So I know this may sound odd coming from me, but with Tacoma Wellness Center, we have a rabbi-owned, fairly mostly Jewish-run uh, dispensary. Do you think you're talking sort of about um, your heritage? Do you think when we get private clubs in DC, do you think the majority black in 2007 that there's a possibility for a black-owned and operated private club in DC? Do I think that opportunity is available? And what do you think would be important about it? Do I think the opportunity is available? It is that the people of DC say it is. I think that's what it always comes down to. What the people demand to see. At the end of the day, we write the rules. We forget that. We write the checks that we all call politicians and lawmakers and policymakers. If we decide something and follow through with action that ensures what we've decided comes to be, then anything is possible. So will we see um, a black or minority owned private cannabis club, will we? Will we? Yeah. I think they answer that for you. <laughs> Hi, my question is about your vision for policy. Where do you think policy is going after um, the movement from medicinal use of cannabis? Where do I think policy is going as far as whether or not medical marijuana will continue to Recognize that it's something, or yeah, how do you see that dispensing? Do you see that going into um, organizations for wellness or like personal well being outside of just using it for marijuana or using it for um, medical purposes or dispensing? Like, do you see it sort of branching into um, better psychological health or? Absolutely. I think cannabis is all about wellness. I mean, we're hearing more and more about the push for organically grown cannabis. So, seeing it go, um, I guess, more into the um, wellness industry, is that what you're saying, as opposed to just seeing it out of collectives and through caregivers? Right. Like, when I think about the cannabis industry as it exists today, I think about people going to dispensaries for medical, medical marijuana to use at home. Um, my question is, do you see there being an expanse of policy towards going to other alternative venues such as like miracle marijuana and um, the acupuncture, like sort of creating another division of wellness and policy being expanded to that? I'm not sure if that's what it's been some sense. I don't think I've considered that before, in all honesty. Okay. I don't see why it wouldn't be a possibility. I do know that C2Sales tracking is one of the most um, important things right. that, that comes with legalization. Um, so if there was a way where the state could continue to track exactly where everything's going, then I don't see that being a great Thank you so much. Uh, I have a question. We uh, mentioned a few minutes ago about the Charles Rinsco. I want to circle back around and see if uh, people talk more about that. <laughs> 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 
the Charlotte Green Show. <laughs> that is my love child. That's my passion project. That's what I plan on doing for the rest of time. Um, we're shining a light on the heart and hope that's fueling the Kansas Revolution. When I said fuck it, I quit. I wasn't turning my back on my decade of kick-ass journalism experience. I just wasn't going to feed the propaganda machine that was hurting the people that I cared about. So now I have to... So now I have the opportunity to continue doing what I love, which is traveling the world empowering people, um, speaking about cannabis reform and, and pushing change and progress. And so I'm taking everyone along with me out on the road. We're going to be going to Spain and Amsterdam and back to Jamaica and Canada a few times and to our communities. And we're talking with the moms and children and entrepreneurs and advocates that are just getting everything happening. And that's what the Charlotte Green Show is. It's finally the voice that the industry deserves. You know, whenever you see or hear about someone being raided, all you see is the cops coming and carrying the boxes and the headlines, so and so under investigation. I've been raided a couple of times. It really, really sucks. And it's never the whole story. It's never the whole story. And you're never going to get the whole story from the news. Period. That's just not going to happen. So this is that story. This is the whole story for the cannabis industry, for the cannabis community, for the cannabis revolution. That's what the Charlotte Green Show is. And we have a ton of amazing advertising opportunities, um, product and brand integration opportunities. So hit me up about it. Um, we're catering specifically to the cannabis community first as a way for all of you to share your brands with um, everyone else. That they're trying to compete with them. Head to charlottegreen.com. That's a start. Um, Ebony just did a feature piece. Um, they called me because of me. That was it. So, <laughs> but it, it's all over. So check it out. I'm super excited about it. So my my question is. Um, you know, I'll be brief at your time, but I, I come from, I just come from California, and so I've seen the, you know, industry has been out for a while, and it's impossible to get into to show it up. And now, really, I'm here, I need to be right now. Um, it's an interesting time for someone who, you know, entrepreneurial spirit, you know, like, I know where you're headed. Yeah. Um, but, like, every other job over here, you know, I don't have a million dollars, or somebody who works with a million dollars. Um, unlike you, I don't have a 10-year experience in journalism or speaking, you don't have a connection to networking. So what is, so my question to you is, what is your recommendation to a entrepreneurial spirit? And how, how, you know, how can I kind of get any kind of momentum behind me so that when legalization as an as a, as a, um, recommendation of legalization comes to, to the district, that we, you know, I can. And for others, especially for, for the Africans, for black people who are very wanting to keep this black. Because it's a very black thing here in the UK anyway. You might as well keep this black. How can we keep this black? How do we get that support and finances and resources to, to be compared to when, when regulation comes that we can can own a cannabis necessity that is not owned to the UK? What you can do is start by launching the Go Green chapter here. That, that's what you can do right here, right now. 
I'm going to be helping with, the, me and my team are going to be helping with the launch of each individual chapter, reaching out to all of our contacts, putting you in touch with everyone that you need to know. And I'll be coming back and launching the group with you so that everyone comes to that and knows that you are the person that leads your community through the end of television. That's how we're getting go green coffee. So to start, so to start. And then from then on, I'm tasking you with being a community consultant where you assert or you look at the needs of the group that is gathering. You see what it is they need and you go out and find it. You reach out to the experts with the backing of my organization. So it's not just you asking to come and speak, it's us. All of us asking this expert to come and input some of their knowledge so that we can speak this out. That work? Can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. uh, so it's been a pleasure being to meet you and talk with you, um, especially after following the story so intensely. Um, I believe we talked about on the phone kind of the immediacy of federal action that related to a state policy. So in terms of the organization, how can we use that uh, here in DC? And hopefully like this year, this is our community, we're hoping to see all our friends who came all the way from Alaska for us, but how can we help other states if you're the seat of power and we can influence every senator in every country by going right down here to NBC Road or down to the White House? What can you see us doing here to help you all with? I think you just mentioned it. I think you just detailed exactly what it was. All of you guys using the fact that you are in the seat of power, that all of our policymakers from around the nation are gathered in the backyard. Just keep on, the, the biggest thing that people can do that are fighting for reform is be an example of what can happen at the end of legalization. Be the example. So here in D.C., especially those in a thriving industry that can serve as the example. So they aren't always pointing to Denver, but they're looking over here at D.C. That's one of the biggest things that you guys can do. And then using your political knowledge. Everyone here is way more knowledgeable about the political process than we are out in the rest of the nation. At least that's what I've seen in my experience, just because that's what you guys live. So sharing all of that is another way that you guys can help. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So I want to take your time. Can everybody give Ms. Green a round of applause? <laughs> and it, it's got to be like she didn't quit after all. What do you think? You can listen to the Fusebox radio broadcast via iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podcast Attic, and your other favorite podcast players. Check out the Fusebox radio's official website for our latest episodes, events, and more at FuseboxRadioOnline.com. You can also visit us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Fusebox Radio Show, Twitter at Twitter.com slash Fusebox Radio, and Instagram at Instagram.com slash Fusebox Radio. Feel free to contact us at FuseboxRadio at gmail.com to submit music for airplay consideration. 